0: Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman, and welcome to our latest vodcast, and this is going to be on musculoskeletal CT. I'm going to cover some of the basic study designs and protocols and pearls and pitfalls. We know there are many different applications for musculoskeletal CT, and particularly with dual energy, fast scanning, new algorithms for metal reduction, the value of CT is again increasing, and we can spend several hours covering many of these topics, and we will eventually cover all of them, but in this lecture, we're just going to worry about trauma. Now, we've spoken about trauma in older lectures on CTSS, and some of the things we've always said are still true. Why do you do CT? Well, plain films work well in many cases, but sometimes plain films are indeterminate, and CT can be used to be the tiebreaker in those cases. Sometimes we can detect a fracture or exclude a fracture when plain films and physical exams are discordant. The flame films are typically negative, but there's a high clinical suspicion. In this era of fast CT and fast ER throughput, it's often the first and only study in patients with specific modes of injury. If you're worrying about C-spine injury, why in the world would you waste time doing C-spine films? At the end of the day, you're always gonna do a CT go to CT first. It could be the only study necessary. Thereby, it decreases dose and speeds throughput. And areas like the C-spine are the typical areas. We also recognize, of course, that trauma is often part of a multi-organ, multi-system injury. And so it can be part of that examination. It can be part of an exam when the patient has trauma due to things like a gunshot wound, or stab wound, where not only are we looking at solid organ injury, or looking at vascular injury, be it in the chest wall, in the axilla, upper extremity, or lower extremity. Now, when we talk about imaging musculoskeletal trauma or just musculoskeletal CT, we know the importance of multiplanar and 3D imaging. This was an article we published a couple years ago on foot fractures, but recognize the last statement to readily communicate this information to the orthopedic surgeon for treatment planning. And that still remains true and whether we're doing just the foot, or we're doing multiplanar to look at multiple organs, uh, CT angiography facilitates the detection of coexisting vascular injuries after trauma of the skeleton. In addition, recent technologies provide promising applications. We talk about the importance in the use of multiplanar in 3D within this scenario. Now, I always stress that when we do CT, we need to have a good protocol, and protocol design is critical. Questions you need to answer in this trauma setting. What's the site of injury? What's the type of injury? Gut wound or stab wounds really make you think of vascular more than simply blunt injury, banging or falling. What's the clinical exam? What does that suggest? What are the lab values? Is there a rapid drop in hematocrit? This will help determine whether we need IV contrast. If you're typically only looking at a bony fracture, an acetabular fracture, a tibial plateau fracture, a shoulder fracture, or fracture dislocation, then IV contrast often is not necessary. Once we know, however, that IV contrast is necessary, there are decisions. The injection rate, volumes of contrast, scan delay, whether we're doing single or multi-phase, and the site of injection— And here's just some of those magic numbers. we like to be in the 4 to 5 cc per second range. Omni is the favorite agent we use. Scan delay depends on the clinical scenario. Are we talking arterial or venous? And are we talking whole body or lower extremity or upper extremity? The closer it is to the heart, the less the delay, the further it is like lower extremities, the longer the delay is going to be. We know about protocols, and here's on 64 slice, but the principles tend to remain the same, as you can see from 64 to flash, and that is submillimeter slice thickness and submillimeter reconstruction intervals. 0.7 by 0.5 seems to work ideally. When we look at injuries, here's just a very simple one to the uh, calf, and you can see very nicely here The patient's vasculature is intact. We can slide the bone away to look at the popliteal and trifurcation vessels. But you realize that when we use the dual energy in this case to take the bone away, we have a much better look at the vascular map and the normal vascularity. Or this case, we see the plateau fracture as well as the fibula fracture, but you see that the superficial femoral artery, the popliteal artery, and trifurcation vessels are all very well defined. You also see the fibula fracture, but you don't see vascular injury. And so when you remove the bone, you got a really good look at the trifurcation vessels. So again, how we do the study increases our accuracy, but also speeds up the process. So dual energy is something I'm gonna speak about because it's one of the things that can be very helpful in trauma because of automated bone removal. When we talk about bone removal, we've always been able to remove bone. Uh, We use various different techniques for segmenting the bone out. But dual energy provides unique opportunity because of the photoelectric effect and the significant difference between iodine and calcium in terms of atomic number. And there were several articles that make the point that dual energy is the ideal way of doing bone subtraction. The clinical interpretation uh, advantage of 3D volume rendered images are limited by the software-assisted Hounsfield unit threshold-based bone subtraction. Time-consuming it is and poor quality. And sure enough, when you do it with dual energy it's much easier. Look at the detail of a vascular map from the superficial femorals, the popliteals, all of the branch vessels. And of course, when I put the bone back, you recognize that leaving the bone in is not an alternative, but you often know that when you take bone out, it becomes very problematic. You tend to take some of the vessels away that are next to bone. We particularly have problems in areas like the neck and brain, for example. We look at other cases like this one, patient with a gunshot wound. You want to look at the patient's uh, SFA and popliteal. You see it very nicely here. Fortunately, there's no active extravasation. Fortunately, the vessel is patent, but there also is narrowing of the superficial femoral and popliteal, and this was felt to be due to spasm. This patient was treated conservatively. They had a fascial uh, defect created to relieve the pressure, but you were able to... um, Uh, return flow without any specific intervention. You also recognize in this case, the importance of being able to roam the data set, take the bone away. And you see I left the the, uh, metal in place from the gunshot wound. And you can see as you rotate the image, the metal is on the vessel or near the vessel. And so the correct answer, it's near the vessel. So one of the reasons you want to be having the post-process data is you can look at things much more carefully. Very, very important. And we know in this article we wrote with uh, Jonathan Efron, Dr. Fritz made the point, a number of factors may obscure a mimic vascular injury on CTA, including poor opacification of the contrast due to motion artifact and positioning, positioning, streaked artifacts, dense calcifications, and similar density of vessels and bone. But you can see that it's very important doing the studies correctly, that we're able to get very good volume data sets and look not only at the bone, but look at all of the non-skeletal injuries from hematoma to active extravasation, spasm of vessels, stenosis, compression, on and on and on. Same article by Fritz, Direct MDCT Angiography, Findings of Arterial Injuries include active extravasation, luminal narrowing, lack of luminal contrast opacification, pacification, filling defect, AV fistula, and pseudoaneurysm. And again, these are all important complications we need to be able to recognize. There's another article by Dresden recently talking about whole-body CT angiography. This article also makes the point about the importance of multiplanar and 3D imaging, that it needs to be standard in all cases with continuous single acquisition cta is able to demonstrate all potentially injured organs as well as vascular and bone structures from the circle of willis to the symphysis pubis so there is a lot of interest in this very very fast scanning and it's something indeed that we've spent a lot of time doing and we will come back to that a little bit later now when you look at the protocol they use for multi-organ trauma Uh, a pretty simple protocol, fixed scan delays, and they also had a biphasic injection. It was a little bit complicated, and the challenge, of course, is when you're scanning multiple body parts and you don't want to give a very large volume of contrast, it can be somewhat difficult. But once they got the data sets and they were happy with the data sets, uh, that's really where you have to be thinking about what you indeed can do. Now, one of the things that's very, very important in terms of scanning is positioning of patients. And I always emphasize this because if the patients are not comfortable on the scanner, they're going to move. If they move, you have motion artifacts. So, again, patients need to be carefully positioned. Good example is the wrist. Very small volume to scan, but even minimal motion ruins the entire study. CT is ideal because of the isotropic data sets. And using edge enhancement algorithms, you can get very good detail of bone with that increased noise. And here's just a good example of the bony structures. Nice distal radial fracture. You can see the the carpal bones. You can see the fracture borders. These images are very noisy, per se. It shows bone really well. The soft tissue is hard to visualize. But that's a classic. Or here's another example through the distal radius. So again, using algorithms is very important. When I do the 3D, I don't want any algorithm. I want the natural uh, imaging to be available. Uh, With um, high-resolution bone algorithms, when you do 3D imaging, the images are always going to be way too noisy. Now, on the other hand, it's important to look at. Here's an example on the left, those are the standard, and on the right, the new algorithm. Look how much better you can see that fracture in the patient's distal radius. It's very nicely shown there, but very, very subtle, but on the high-res images, you can really see that bony fracture that's present which was indeed critical, and that's why the standard algorithm alone is typically not enough. When you're looking for subtle bony injuries, you really need the high-res data. And you can see very nicely here, the high-res data really shows you the carpal bones well, the detail of the carpal bones, the lack of a vascular necrosis or anything significant. You also can see in this case where you see fractures both at about three o'clock and 12 o'clock in the patient's uh, distal radius, and just a beautiful example. Now, I show you this case to continue with some of the comments about 3D imaging and reconstruction algorithms or kernel. If the kernel is too high, typically means the images are going to be noisy. and if the images are noisy, you do a 3D. It looks like you're doing a 3D uh, in a snowstorm. Well, what you want to make certain about is not to use that algorithm, but use the standard algorithm and then you could see how smooth the images are. So I say this early in the talk because I want people to go back to this scanner, if you don't already do it, and try some different phantoms. Now, some people are very unhappy with their 3D images, but it could be due to the fact that the axials aren't acquired correctly. Another example, in cast, dislocation of the elbow looking for a fracture. There the cast is gone. There you can see a small bony fragment by the olecranon. And a very nice look at the patient's radius, the dislocation, nicely seen, and the use of both opaque and transparent rendering. Some advantages to opaque in terms of three-dimensionality. Some disadvantages, it creates artifact that, of things that aren't there. And you really don't see the detail of the patient's fracture. So it's something you want to be careful with. Uh, and again, you can see them a uh, pure opaque versus transparent. I tend to like the transparent better. And then if you look at some imaging, you could see that when you translate this to imaging, the patient has a lesion on the dorsum of the hand, and you can see the lesion is right there. Just a very aggressive tumor. Just very, very impressive. And you can see we use some lighting models on the muscle. Very good detail of the tendons and vessels and everything else. And here it is again, rotated. And here it is with the feeding vessel. And, uh, again, the importance of thinking about what you're looking at. Not every case needs vascular contrast, and not every case needs a 3D image, and not every case surely needs soft tissue imaging. But when it's needed, it does provide significant information, and you can see the detail and the quality of the reconstructions. Now, um, advances in CT, uh, which enable high-speed simultaneous evaluation, both complete lower extremities, rapid image reconstruction and advanced image visualization or uh, what you're looking for, it's important to recognize that there are so many different findings in terms of trauma, from nothing to a vasospasm to a hematoma and the like. And so you need to be aware of these potential complications, uh, but it's something that you really need to think about when you're reading many of these studies, trying to figure out specifically what's going on. Now, in saying that, often there are other signs, as clinical signs, hard signs, pulsatile hemorrhage, absent pulses, overt ischemia, audible bruit, palpable thrill, and some soft signs from a significant hemorrhage found on history, decreased pulse, bony injury, neurologic abnormality. So, again, it's very important to recognize, and we look at the list of patterns of injury, that there's a lot to learn. And there's a lot to be looking for because sometimes it's a soft tissue like a hematoma. Sometimes it's active extravasation or sometimes it's vasospasm or stenosis. And sometimes it's something extrinsic. So it's very important to really think about what you're going to be looking at. And one of the things also we need to talk about is some of the roles of angiography when compared to CT when compared to ultrasound, when compared to MR. So what should we really be doing these days in terms of imaging? And that's something we're going to address when we come back from our coffee break. And with that, I'll see you in a few minutes.